Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. I read um, in, on the Wednesday night Bible studies, we are, have been working through Romans, the book of Romans. There's only 16 chapters. I don't know if you realize this, but we're in October. We started in January. <laughs> and uh, we were in chapter 15 this week, and I got to studying in chapter 15. I thought, I'm just going to go back and look at chapter 1 again. And I just started digging into chapter 1, and it was so good to me. I thought, I hate to leave the book of Romans, but we will. Uh, the good thing is we, we may be studying something else, but you still get to keep the book of Romans. Um, you don't have to check it off as though it's done. You know, God's Word has this amazing quality that as you read it and reread it and reread it and read it, it just begins to blossom. I wish I could find a, a better term for that right now because that seems very flowery. But it, it begins to produce fruit in our lives. It continues to expand. The depth of it becomes greater. The understanding of it be becomes more. We get more out of it, and the more time we spend with it, it just gets gooder. It's better. And uh, I went back and, and read, uh, I'm going to go to Romans chapter 1 just for a moment. But I, I, I capsulized something. I'm on this journey, okay, folks? And that journey for me is that I want us to be excellent disciplers. I want us to learn how to share our faith and not just to have someone say to the Lord, I do but that we equip them for life in the faith and that we help them be established in their faith and that we end up raising believers who are not dependent on us but have their own spiritual foundation, their own spiritual roots that are going down to the ground that will sustain them, that they've got the pieces and the tools to be able to stand on their own with the heart to be able to reach somebody else. So there's an ongoing pursuit in my spirit. Lord, how do we do this? How do we communicate your truth in such a way? And how do we sustain believers, giving them the tools to be able to share your gospel with people and then, and then also uh, perpetuate the truth of the gospel and then help them live a healthy and fulfilled life in the Lord? As I was reading this week, I came to, let me see, I came to a verse here, and part of it just leapt out of me. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Paul wrote in verse 5, Through Christ, God has given us the privilege, or you can say grace, the privilege and authority as apostles to tell disciples everywhere what God has done for them. Did you get that? So they've been given the grace or the privilege and the authority to tell uh, Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them. Then the next phrase is what caught me. So that they will believe and obey him and bring glory to his name. That capsulized something for me. Now I'm going to go back. I know it says it differently in, in uh, the New King James. In the New King James it says, For obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. He's already mentioned the Gentiles in the New Living, so that, that phrase doesn't show up there. But for obedience to the faith among the nations for his name, or we could say for his name's sake. Going back to how it said it in, in the New Living Translation, it says that they would believe, that they would be obedient, 
and that they would glorify his name, okay? And that's really a capsule of what we want, what we have to do when we are communicating the gospel. It's a process. It is the progression of what needs to happen. In the, in the King James, I mean the New King James Version says, obedience to the faith. So what does that mean? It means that they heard a message that capsulized the faith of our gospel, what Jesus came to do for us, what Jesus established for us, not just for our salvation. And can I just say this? The good news of the kingdom of God is more than just salvation. There's a lot of churches that get the salvation message out, and they'll tell people about being saved. They'll tell people about, about uh, receiving forgiveness for their sins and that they need to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and then they move on to the next person. But salvation and the good news is a whole lot more than that. It is a lifestyle. Amen? And it carries us through our whole life, and then it continues beyond this life into eternity. But it's about our lives coming back into line with God's purpose and plan for us and for all of creation. That when we receive the forgiveness, then all of a sudden our mission comes that we are now establishing God's kingdom in the hearts of other people. So along with faith, the belief that Jesus provided forgiveness for our sins that God's got a strategy at work on our behalf, along with believing that, then there must come, it's one thing to say we believe it, there should be a natural progression into obedience, that our life starts to be transformed, it becomes conformed into God's purpose and God's plan. We are aligning ourselves with His purpose. There's a lot of believers who've accepted salvation but haven't accepted lordship. I appreciate that one. That's right. Okay, it's good to know the good news that there's salvation, forgiveness from our sins, but there's also lordship. This same Jesus is both Lord and Christ. The Jesus who was our Savior should also be our Lord. Do I need to explain that? Lord means, God, what do you want from my life? I'm, I'm giving myself to that. I want to be fully committed to your purpose and plan for my life. Jesus, show me the way to live for you. Show me what you want done. Be my master. I offer myself as a bond servant to you. I give myself to you. Being a servant or being a bond servant doesn't sound all that exciting. <laughs> Giving ourselves in that way, but I'm going to tell you, it's exciting. There's no more fulfillment than, than serving the Lord. And then he says, if we believe and if we will obey, there's another side of it. it. It says in the New King James, for his name. And really the word sake should be for his name's sake. All that we're doing, all of this is so that God can be glorified. There, folks, if we will offer ourselves, if we will offer ourselves to the Lord, believe and then offer ourselves in obedience to the Lord, when we step in line with God's purposes and plans, when our heart and our life comes into agreement with what he's desiring to do, there will come a glorification of the Lord in our lives. Because when we are in line with God's purpose and God's plan, all of a sudden, and I've said it before, that when we love the Lord and we are called by his purpose, there's an un the unlimited resources of heaven become, come to our disposal so that we can fulfill the purpose of the Lord. Unlimited resources of heaven become available to us. 
the scripture uh, talks uh, over and over again about the disciples, how when they went out to do the work of the Lord, God commissions them, God sends them out to do the work. At the same time, there is an equipping that comes along that with regards to the power of God to do miracles and signs and wonders, to be able to, that God confirmed their word, that God testified along with them that that message was true. So our heart as we serve the Lord must be that we believe some people want to believe and receive all the blessings of God. But when you talk, start talking about obedience and them submitting to God's lordship, they're like, wait a minute, this is my territory, this is my turf. I want all the blessings, but I don't necessarily want to change. I don't want him imposing things on me. After all, don't I have a right to do my thing? Keep God at a distance. No, embrace him, come to him. God wants us to walk in obedience with him, but if we will commit ourselves to the faith, and to obedience to the Lord, we also know that God will do everything that needs to be done from the, the side of the supernatural to glorify his name, and he will work through us for his purposes. Amen? Obedience to the faith for all the nations. God wants the Gentiles to know him. Those who don't know him, those who are outside of the covenant. I've been reading a little book this week, and it's not big. It's this big. It's by a man named Ken Ham. Does anybody know who Ken Ham is? Ken Ham is a creation scientist. He's the, the, his group is the one that put up the, the Ark Encounter. Is that what they call it? Where they have the Ark, and they also have the Creation Science Museum. And uh, he sent out this little book. It came free to us in the mail the other day, and so I picked it up and looked at it, and it said, Gospel Reset. Gospel Reset. Okay, we're not giving anything up with regards to the gospel. We have got a powerful gospel. We're not changing the gospel or anything like that. But he's talking about, he says, the way that we communicate the gospel is being lost to our society. Because we are not speaking the language that they understand. They're not speaking the language we understand. We're making assumptions that when we speak in a language that's familiar to us, that the generation that has risen up today does not speak that same language. They didn't grow up in the same culture that we grew up in. So sometimes our words are lost to them. It's like you're going out there. Mike and I are going to be down in, in Colombia. You know what's going to be interesting in Colombia? There's going to be few and far between that speak English. Mike, it's going to be a challenge. You know what I'm going to tell you? The anointing still works. God will provide interpreters where we need interpreters and then we're going to pray for people and you know when you pray for someone you pray and you're praying to the lord but you're also sometimes praying wanting that person to be able to hear a word mike it's challenging when you pray for someone in another culture and they're not necessarily hearing what you're saying the anointing still works the lord will set people free but i got in my my looking and reading um i ended up going to where did i write down the place yeah there's a I got to looking at some things, and uh, I got caught up in some educational websites. And one of the web websites was Don with two N's, .org. And they provide educational material for kids, for teachers to use in their school classroom. And then there was this thing that I, I picked up and I printed, and it says, The Rise of Islam in Africa. And I'm somewhat attached to Africa. But it says here, the rise of Islam in Africa. And it says, what is a Muslim? 
It says, a Muslim is a person who follows the teaching of Islam, just as a Christian is a person who follows the teaching of Christianity. It had some very blanket statements about a thing that didn't really communicate. It was a, I, I, it's tricky, folks. I thought if it, these, things, these things come as handouts to the kids in schools. There's very simple things that are put out there. And if you are not alert to what's being said or what's being done, or you don't have any kind of understanding of what's being proposed right here, you would think, sure, why not? That sounds great. Why don't I try it? But one of the things it says here, and this is, this is not true, what is Islamic culture? It says, if you follow these teachings, this ensures that you will make into heaven one day. You know what? No, it doesn't. Not in Islam. They have no assurance that they're going to make it to heaven. They, their teaching is that you can do your best, and you should do your best in Islam to try to get to the front of the line, but only Allah will determine whether or not you make it to heaven or not. So there's no 100% guarantee. Now, later, some clerics interpreted, yes, if you die as a martyr, then you'll be guaranteed that you'll make it to heaven, plus you'll have the benefit of all the virgins. How many virgins? I forget. 70, 70, 72, 70, 70, 70, okay, virgins, I wasn't going to throw the number out there, but anyhow, that they would have the availability of that many virgins when you get to heaven, not much promise for the women, is it, but this, this just lightly says, if you follow the teaching, it ensures that you'll make it to heaven, that's not what they teach, but then listen to this, it says, there are many teachings, one of them and this is one of them. Muhammad said, all mankind from Adam to Eve, all mankind is from Adam, to, from Adam and Eve. An Arab is no superior than a non-Arab, nor a non-Arab any superior to an Arab. Now, I, I know from someone who was an imam that converted to Christianity, he told me that that is not really the way they believe. It, it says here also, a white is no superior from a black, nor a black any superior from a white except by piety and good action and i thought that is really strange that muhammad would be even writing something that's a black versus white thing because that was not a cultural issue at that time it wasn't a black or white thing in arab culture so why i think this is something that's been interjected in the conversation right here in christ we know that we're all god's creatures there is no there's only one human race there may be a whole bunch of shades and a whole bunch of nationalities or, or countries that we come from, but there's only one human race. We all came from the same root. And it says here, learn that every, I want you to listen to this statement now. Learn that every Muslim is a brother and every Muslim, I'm sorry, learn that every Muslim is a brother to every Muslim and that Muslims constitute one brotherhood. Okay, there's a whole lot of people just left out. Okay? Nothing shall be legitimate to a Muslim that belongs to a fellow Muslim unless it is given freely and willingly. It just said there, now please don't, I know I'm dragging you through something, I don't want to lose you. It says, nothing shall be legitimate to a Muslim but belongs to a fellow Muslim unless it is given freely and willingly. That means you can't go take something from a fellow, fellow Muslim unless they give it to you. It's not your right to just go take something from a fellow Muslim. Who did they leave out? Everybody who's not a Muslim. I know this same cleric that I talked to, this same imam that I talked to who had converted to Christianity, he told me that in their faith, 
he said that it was completely okay for them to go and steal for someone who wasn't a Muslim. That that was all right because people who weren't a Muslim were considered dogs anyhow. You know, that Caleb, Caleb is the name for uh, 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 someone who's not a convert to Islam. They ended up, you could, you could go and freely steal, but that was not breaking Islamic law to take something from someone who wasn't a Muslim. Here it says, nothing shall be legitimate to a Muslim that belongs to another Muslim. It doesn't restrict them from getting something from somebody else. It says, do not therefore do injustice to yourselves. Remember, one day you'll meet Allah, God, and answer, and answer for your deeds. So beware, do not stray from the path of righteousness after I'm gone. That's the Muhammad answering. But basically, in, in Islam, uh, they believe that they have to do right by other Muslims. They're not supposed to, to steal from other Muslims. Of course, you know, there's, there's sect, sect clashes in there. But what was most disturbing for me, oh, it comes on a little bit later on, and it talks about, about West Africa and the, the uh, progress of, of Islam through West Africa, and it sounds so peaceful and won wonderful, um, except for the fact that you know where the red turban comes from, the red the fez hat? Y'all know the history of the red fez hat? Do you know what I'm talking about? The little thing like this that we associate, maybe associate with Shriners or something like that. It's got the little tassel on top. The history of the, the red fez hat is that that hat was supposed to be white. It initially was white. But when the, the Islamists came across North Africa and they were massacring, the reason why the sword is a part of their symbol is because if you either accept Islam or you receive the sword, you're put to death. When they came across North Africa and they were killing off people who would not accept Christianity, they came to the town of Fez and they massacred the town of Fez. And to celebrate their victory, they took their white hats off their head and, and ran it. They rubbed them in the red blood of the Christians who had died and stained their hats red. And so forever now, that Fez is a red-colored hat because they were celebrating their their. Their, their victory over the Christians in the town of Fez. So the Fez hat is symbolic of that victory. That's why it's red. But if you read this history that's to be handed out to kids in school, it says this. Islam stated that all people were brothers. Africans had always worked together for the common good, and Islam did not tolerate thieves. We just said that they said that you're not allowed to steal from Islamic people, but you can steal freely from someone who's not. That's a part of their, this, this, this uh, imam, this, uh, this uh, guy that I spoke with over in Africa, he talked about how he would, now that he had converted to Christianity, he would go talk to Islamic people and Islam, even Islamic holy men about Jesus' love. And they, they said, we don't like you because you confuse us. And he said, that's okay. He, he left me walking down the street to go speak to a couple of guys in robes on the side of the road. He said, they, they love to hear me because there's something that sparks inside of them, but they tell me that I confuse them. So anyhow, but he talked about how there were people that had come to him who had converted to Christianity because he would just tell them, just pray. When you're praying, pray and ask God if Jesus is his son. And he had had people that Jesus had appeared to them. And, uh, and God would, Jesus would come and stand in their room and talk to them and say, yes, I am Jesus. I am the son of God. Follow me. You know, and, and, but he told me that, that he had had people that had gone to their imam and asked their imam to help them. Um, I'm spending a lot more time on this than I had planned. But the, but the, the imam, they'd asked the, the imam to help them 
be able to have a way to make money. And that the imam in, in a certain sect of Islam, they tie witchcraft in with Islam. And that this, this imam had actually produced uh, something that this person could take to a locked door on somebody's house and the demonic power in it would unlock that door and this would person go in and steal freely. And that's how this person made a living and that was prom- promoted to them and given to them by this, uh, uh, the Islamic cleric that they had gone to. So when this person, this uh, thief had gotten saved, he came to my friend um, and, and asked him and said, would you please praise, I mean, come and pray and break the power over this this little uh, amulet, something like that, that, that he would take and, and hold in front of that door. And so he did. He went and prayed and broke the power over it. But um, this, this says right here, it goes on, the deception of it. It talks about West Africa. We just talked about Fez and how they came across and massacred the people who wouldn't accept Islam. It said the religion of Islam, speaking of West Africa, gave them structure. It also gave them a written language and a respect for formal education. And then it comes down, folks, the deception of this in the education system of this, is this being passed out. Islam suited them far more than Christianity or Buddhism. Hand this out to kids in school. There's not one negative thing said in here about Islam. It sounds rosy. Islam suited them far more than Christianity or Buddhism. That they're putting that out there for the kids to be able to see. If we are losing the conversation about the validity and the power of our gospel, if we're not taking that message to the place where it's needed, folks, we're fighting a losing battle, and it's, I'm sorry, we're we're losing the battle because we're not fighting. We're not getting out there and telling the truth. There is power in the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We shouldn't be ashamed of our faith. We need to be sharing the word of Jesus. All it takes is for one generation to be silent. There's a transformation happening in our nation. Our nation's changing. We've got to turn the tide. Last week, last week we, in, in our, our, our services here, there was conversation. We spoke about a, a spiritual tsunami coming. Did y'all notice in the news there was a tsunami that hit Indonesia? And an earthquake that hit Indonesia, you know, that tsunami in that sense was a destructive force. It demolished structures. It moved things. It changed things. And, and at the end of the conference, God told me to share with you that, that we are a spiritual tsunami. We're looking for a spiritual tsunami to bless us and not understand that there's a tsunami inside of us. There's power inside of us. There was nothing stopping that wave. I've watched video after video of tsunamis. Have y'all seen those things? Y'all got better things to do with your time? But, but there, there's all kinds of video there from the, from the Japan tsunami that happened and the tsunamis that happened out there in, in, uh, in Indonesia a few years ago where 230,000 people were, were killed. That wave coming in, it was just an unstoppable stoppable force. It didn't matter what kind of structure was there. just plowed right through and moved ships off the ocean and up into, dry, up into the dry land and the cars are just floating around like ping pong balls out there. It's a powerful force. I, I wish that we could understand what kind of power and what kind of force dwells inside of us. We're not here 
to do destruction to human lives and destroy people. We're here to demolish strongholds of the enemy and to tear up everything that stands in opposition to the force of the Spirit of God and what God wants to accomplish in the earth. It dwells inside of us. Let me say that again. He dwells inside of us. The Holy Spirit has come to be resident inside of us. But we've got to learn how to communicate a message in such a way that people can get it. We can't go and just speak a foreign language and expect people to understand. So may, Lord, may the Lord give us the words and give us the, mes the message and give us the means, the way to be able to speak so that people can get it. Would you turn with me to, uh, to, to Acts chapter... We'll go, just go ahead to Acts chapter 17. We're, we're losing the battle of the dialogue because we're giving up ground. You know, in the Christian church, and, and Ken Ham spoke a lot about this, but he said, you know, when it comes to, to Genesis, the book of Genesis, for instance, and, you know, he's, they've built the ark, and they talk about creation and everything like that, but because we really haven't understood and, and we're not really versed in the things about creation, and, you know, that we've been, uh, been pummeled for years by evolutionism um, where they're telling our kids in school and they've told us in school some of some of us in school that you know 400 million years ago and 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 uh, I, I don't think I've ever lost as many people in a service as the day that I talked about the, the mathematical probability for for evolution y'all remember that service yeah be honest most of you were sleeping um, we I loved it. It was just two pages. and <laughs> The mathematical probability, and, 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 and in order to, to not lose people and to give a very short version, when you take what the evolutionists say and you try to give them as much rope as you could give them, there's not enough time in their time frame to even have the things to be able to come about. I mean, it's fascinating reading. Go, go look at it sometime. I'm not going to preach on it again. But, but folks... Evolution is taught like it's a done deal, like there's so much proof for it. It's just a law, the law of evolution. It is not a law. It's got so many holes in it. It's got so many holes in it without spending a whole lot of time on it. How do you go from a rock, an inanimate ab object that's just made up of chemicals, and all of a sudden there'd be a DNA? You can't do it. DNA just doesn't happen. There's a creator that gives uh, a, a, a pattern for life, a blueprint for life. And I wish I could spend more time on that, but I'm not going to spend more time on that. But we've given up the ground. We've just said, well, we, we can't speak in those terminologies. We don't know all the answers to all those things, so we just let it go. And so what's happening is, this is what's happened. The Bible has gone from being the Word of God and a truth to where we have, even in Bible schools today, they don't teach it is an absolute. They teach it as it may just be symbolic or allegorical. Well, if you give up that there's a creator God and God set things in place and God set things in motion by his design, what you've just done, you have just erased the basis for a whole lot of faith and trust in the Bible anyhow. Well, if that's just allegory and that's just a story and that's just an allusion to something, then what about the rest of the Bible? Scripture says that there was Adam and Eve, that they were the first man and the first woman. 
Evolution says that there was a development, a process that came around a man finally coming into being. Well, what's to say that there wasn't more than one man and more than one being? And then all of a sudden, the whole story becomes muddied. And the whole thing, well, God said there's only one. But if everything developed at the same time, there's more going on out there, then, then how do we know what's true and what's not true? And you know what happens? When I was growing up, and we said, let's turn in the Bible. When we turned in the Bible, we were turning to the authoritative Word of God. It was something that was handed down to us because God had a message He wanted to communicate to us, and we received it authoritatively. We believed it as true. But now we've muddied these waters, and all of a sudden we can accept what we want to accept, and some of it's just kind of allegorical. It's not really true. And it comes down now when we pick up, let's read the Bible we're not necessarily reading a historical book. We're reading a book that was just kind of a compilation of writings that were put together by men. And it ends up to where instead of the Bible stories that we read our kids being a historical fact of events that actually happened in a day, the people really lived those lives and they really experienced those moves of God. Now Bible stories, folks, and, and for our ears, this sounds strange, but I'm telling you, in the world, when you talk about a Bible story today, they equate it with something like an Aesop's fable or a fairy tale. It's just kind of an allegorical story. It's not the Word of God. We've given up ground. And we've got to take it back. But we've got to speak the language in such a way. We've got to tell them the story. We've got to communicate the truth in such a way that they can understand. We can't just say Christian needs words and expect them to understand. When we go out there today and see somebody, we say, look, you need to give your life to Jesus because he died for your sins. It's a foreign language to people. They need to hear the message, but we've got to communicate with them in a way that they understand. We can't assume that they even know what a blood sacrifice is. We can't assume that they even know who Jesus is. Which Jesus? When we talk about God in the current generation that's rising up, they've been exposed to so many different kinds of gods and so many different religions, they don't necessarily communicate that as being or understand that as being the Christian God. And our embracing of Christianity or saying that it is, we are, are, are Christians, for some, just means that we, that is our chosen philosophical path. You know, we have embraced Christianity over any of the other equally valid religions, Islam, Buddhism, Baha'i faith, your, or any of the other religions out there. Folks, there is a clear distinction. We don't have to be ashamed of what we've received in the Lord. There is a clear distinction between the gospel of Jesus Christ and every other religion in the earth. And let me just, I'm, we're going to go to chapter 17 of Acts, okay? And I just want to show you something here. I, I spent an enjoyable time going back to the book of Acts. That's the one we spent a long time on last year in Bible study. But look at verse, chapter 17. I'm getting close, aren't I? Huh? Chapter 17. Haven't gotten to the verse yet. <laughs> if you go back and look at... <laughs> people are going to start waving in time, time. If you go back and look at Paul's methodology of sharing the faith, when he went from town to town on his missionary journeys, 
you find that his first step was to go into a town, and if they had a synagogue or a gathering of Jewish believers, at one town he went down to the river because they didn't have apparently enough males in the city to warrant a, a Jewish synagogue. There had to be at least 10 male Jewish men, and, and if there were 10, then they had to establish a synagogue. At one town he went down to the river because he knew that there were people going down there to pray. But in most towns, if there was a synagogue, he would go to the synagogue and would explain to them from the scriptures about Jesus coming and fulfilling the law, about Jesus being the Messiah and why it was necessary for the Messiah to die and to give that truth. But understood, understand that when he went to the synagogue, he was going to people that already had a foundational understanding of the scriptures that they had received at that time. And say so would use that foundation of Scripture to be able to share with them the fulfillment of Scripture in Jesus Christ. And so we find that in chapter 17, you see that uh, as an example, it says in verse 2 of chapter 17, as, as was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used Scripture to reason with the people. A little bit further down, it said, This Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. It says, Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded. A little bit later, it said, And some were jealous. We'll flip on over just a little bit. And it talks about Berea. And then we're going to get to verse 16. So he's in Athens now. He comes to Athens. And, and Athens was a center of intellectual thought. They had a square there, the Areopagus, I believe it's called, the Areopagus, where all the wisest people from the Roman Empire and the Greek Empire would come together, Greco-Roman Empire would come together, and they would talk about the most current ideas and the thoughts, and they were philosophers and teachers, and, and uh, I won't take time to go into all that, but, but Paul went to the town, and first it says in verse 17 that he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square. Then it comes down a little bit later. Uh, let's, go, let's go back to verse 16. See what it says up there? While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in that city. He was deeply troubled by all the idols. Folks, I was crying to the Lord this week. There's a lot of idols in our nation. There's a lot of different places people are turning outside of the Lord. There's a lot of hopeless people. I, I uh, last week had a conversation with a gentleman that stopped by the office who had lost a son to addiction. His son died as a teenager to addiction. He is doing his best to try to help people get help if they're struggling with opioid addiction. He's not getting a whole lot of help even from families whose children have, have suffered from addiction. You know, that people will talk about it, but they're not really helping him be able to do it. But I appreciate God opening the door to that conversation. Recently, after that, I had another conversation with someone who, um, whose, whose relative walks in the high realms of corporate offices in this nation, the upper-level executives in, in our nation. They're in a very big company, and they cross paths with a lot of high-level executives. And one of their comments was that it is astounding how many people at that level are addicted to heroin and opioids, that even at the upper levels of running major companies across this nation, there are people who are caught in the snare of opioid addiction. 
We can talk about opioid addiction, but there are addictions or ensnarements of all different kinds all across this land. And folks, that's a form of idolatry. They may not be bowing down before, but that thing has just as much control over their lives. And unless we, as the people of Jesus Christ, have an answer, if we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit, if we will open our mouths and speak to that crisis and speak hope into those things, God can set people free. But if we are okay with it, and are willing to just people live out their lives as long as I'm taking care of me and mine. I'm okay. Lord, break that lying spirit that makes us just want to be okay. Show me that in the Bible. As long as I'm blessed, as long as my household is, 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 is taken care of, it's a, it's a lying spirit. We're here on a mission. Paul was disturbed, deeply troubled by the eye of He saw, are you deeply, dis- deeply troubled when you see the sin and the sickness and the depression and the pain that is being inflicted on people around us? We've got an answer. I've got to hurry. So Paul stands up in verse 18, and he starts speaking to the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers. I would elaborate on who they were, but I don't have time. And he told them about Jesus and his resurrection. And they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange idea he's picked up? Folks, Jesus and the resurrection is the core of our message. But these people, with all of their highbrow knowledge and all their philosophy, had never heard the message. So to them, it was just babbling. Why? It was a language they didn't understand. They had never heard it. If we're just standing up and telling people, you need to give your life to Jesus... We need to be able to answer the reason why. Who is he? What does that mean? Can you explain it? Don't interpret their shock at what we're saying as being a rejection. It's just that they are ignorant of it. And that's not an insult. They just don't understand. He's picked up some strange ideas. And others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Yes. It was a god that was foreign to them. They didn't know. But it was real. Jesus is real. It says in verse 19, Then they took him to the high council. This is this Areopagus square where people would get together and talk about all the new teachings and things like that. They took him to the high council. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. So here's the thing, folks. There's religions all around the world that people are familiar with. And I'm going to tell you the core thing in the religions around the world is that they may recognize that there is a God, but in every case, those religions are mankind doing something, trying something, working at something to somehow appease a God or to live in such a way that they can excel up to that realm. But it is all man-driven. It is man trying to accomplish reconciliation or recognition of that God. Man is pushing to try to get there. What's the distinction in Christianity? God did the work on our behalf. Jesus saw our broken and humble estate and he reached through time and eternity to reach down and make a way for us. He's laid it out in front of us and said, won't you come? Oh, come let us reason together. Why would God even consider mankind? Why would God love us that way? What is man that you are mindful of him? I'm hearing a chirp chirp over here. 
So Paul stands before them and he says it like this. Men of Athens, I'm in verse 22. I notice that you have very, are very religious in every way. For as I was walking among you, I saw many shrines. And one of your altars has an inscription to an unknown God. And so he says, look, I know that you already worship an unknown God, but I've got an answer for you. I know you're searching for someone that you don't know, but I've got the answer for you. He said, this God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Why is that significant? Because they worshiped a moon God and a sun God and a, you know, whatever kind of God. But little bits and pieces of all this creation. He's saying, no, this God is the one and only. He did it all. I love the way he, he portrays this. For he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. He's come right here. He's made, made us his, his temple. The human hands, and human hands can't serve his needs. Look, folks, this next phrase we need to get, and this, is, this may be hard for us. For he has no needs. He doesn't need us. God doesn't need you to be God. God doesn't need me to be God. He's God. But he chooses to be in relationship with, with us, and he desires to be in relationship with us. What a blessing. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole world. He decided beforehand when they, the nations, should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose, we're talking about in the beginning, was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps to feel their way towards him and find him, though he is not far from, from any, any one of us. For in him we live and move and, and exist. And as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring, and since this is true, we shouldn't think that God of God is an idol designed by craftsmen of gold or silver. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day, set a, set a day for judging the world. And look at verse 32. I'm going to ju jump down there. Folks, we have got to share the message of the gospel with people we come in contact with. We've got to pray for the Holy Spirit to give us insight as to how to speak in a language that they can understand. Don't talk, talk church to someone who doesn't talk church unless you explain to them what church means, what that language is. Give them the room to ask the question. Don't be, don't be, and don't be afraid about not knowing the answer. Make it an ongoing conversation and not just a one-time event. But share what you have. Look, even with Paul, who we esteem so highly as a messenger of the gospel, it says in verse 2, And when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in, con in contempt. I think Paul could probably communicate it better than any of us. It said some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this. And verse 30, 33 says, that ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Look, we can't be offended by people who don't get it. Don't give up because somebody makes fun of you. They laughed at Paul. They mocked Jesus. After all he did, he hung on the cross, but some 
But some followed. But some got it. But some wanted it. If you're in sales, if you're a salesman, I've worked with salesmen before, and uh, one of the things that they say, you have to be willing, you're going to probably get eight no's before you get a yes. You, gotta, you just got to plow through the no to get to that yes. Just keep doing it. Just keep speaking it. Just keep telling the story, and finally somebody's going to get it. Just keep telling what Jesus has done. Just keep telling what you do know, Killian. Just keep telling it. Somebody's going to get it. There's going to be somewhere, someone somewhere who's going to embrace it. And when they embrace it, take them alongside and let's nurture them in their faith. Help them grow up unto Jesus so that they can come live the life that he's given to them. Just keep saying it. May the Lord use us to share his gospel with the world that desperately needs it. I am not willing to let go of people that God's put within our reach. I don't want us to be willing to let go of family members that need it and friends that need it and co-workers that need it and acquaintances that we've been around. It may only be one in eight, but at least there's one. And it may be a whole lot more than that. But you keep telling it. You keep saying it. I'm getting a head nod. I want you to have an opportunity to share if God's put something on your heart. If God did something for you at that conference, it may be more than that. I'm going to completely turn things over to Mike here so Mike can govern it. <laughs> but please be mindful of other people. The other people may have an opportunity. So, yes, this feels like the end of the service, but it's not the end of service. We've still got plenty of time, and the children don't know what their lessons over there anyhow. Okay? So let's take a little time and just glorify the Lord by sharing what God's put in our heart, okay? Can we do that? It's a little out of the box. The Lord, make us effective messengers of your gospel. God, we need your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we need you to work in us to accomplish this purpose. Would you walk with us and work with us to give us the word? You said just open up our mouths and the Holy Spirit would teach us what it is we needed to say. But God, we need you to equip us with the power of of that Holy Spirit also to be able to set people free. Would you do signs and wonders and miracles, dear Lord, to confirm the word so that people would get it? And God, let the words that we speak just kind of attach to their hearts so that they can't shake it off, dear God, that the truth would ring true in their hearts. God, we want to see people come to your kingdom. We want to demolish the strongholds of the enemy with the truth of your gospel. So God, we give you the praise and the glory for it. Have your way in us, O Lord. Have your way in us, O oh Lord. Come on, just say that, Lord. Have your way in us. Mary said, may it be unto me according to your word, O oh Lord. And that's my heart. That's my desire. Praise your name.